And for the rest of us here, can you turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1? Ephesians chapter 1. We have been a, in a series of messages over the last uh, several weeks to begin this new year, and it's been entitled Church Matters. Uh, we've talked about topics of church itself, we've talked about uh, discipleship, we've talked about evangelism. And today I have the opportunity to talk to you about why we're here. We're here to, to worship our God and great King. I was thinking as I, um, you ever see the show um, Antique Roadshow? Yeah. yeah. So our family used to um, sit around and watch that show. And uh, in Antique Roadshow, what they would do is um, a number of people would bring their thing that they would question whether it's valuable or not, they would bring it to this appraiser. And when they brought it, they were hoping that it was worth something, that it had some value, that it had some meaning. Um, but they weren't sure. And you can almost see it as they held the thing in their hands, they weren't sure. And they would bring it before the appraiser, and the appraiser uh, would tend to pick it up or look at it, turn it around, look underneath it, really examining it. And you could see that the mind of the appraiser was really working. Um, if you watched long enough, you could actually start to see that there was little um, markers that the appraisal would give out that would give you the impression that this is not valuable or it is valuable. You can almost see it in the appraiser's face. And as the appraiser is looking with his mind and starting to have some emotions or affections, then the appraiser would then give the appraisal. Now, there were some times that the appraisal would go out and... It was, you know, this is nothing. It's not of great value. There are a number of these that are in the market. Sometimes the appraiser would say that this is a complete and total fake, um, that it really isn't of that time frame. But every once in a while, the appraiser would look at the thing and tell the person that was there, the one who owned it, that you don't even know how valuable this is. And you could almost see it in the owner's eyes that all of a sudden now they start to hear it. It's like they start to hear it in their, in their mind and they start to, start to appreciate it in their emotions. And it's like, you know, you could sense it and then now they're waiting for the number, right? How much is this thing worth? And there were some times that we would watch that show and, I mean, it was just shocking. The thing that they found in their attic is worth millions of dollars. It's like crazy, and their whole life has now changed because the value of the thing that they hold in their possession has changed. I want you to keep that in mind as we consider this topic of worship today. Because if we see God as valuable, as we see him as infinite in worth, if we see him in his glory, then he's worthy of just amazing praise. And it's all of who we are and all of what we do. What I'd like to do this morning is just take an excursion through the uh, book of Ephesians, and then we'll come back and try to answer some questions about worship. Look with me here in Ephesians chapter 1. I won't spend too much time on it, but I want you to consider Paul just starts his letter with praise. Uh, Pastor Doug got an opportunity in the first week to go through this section with you. I just want you to hear it again, how Paul begins his letter to the church about how we are called to live as the church. And he says this, bless, verse 3, be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. 
even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he's lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to the purpose which he set forth in Christ. As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him, who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Do you, do you hear that? Do you hear the amazing thing that God the Father planned your salvation? That Jesus Christ is the provider of your salvation and the Holy Spirit is the pledge or the promise of your salvation. They are working in conjunction to bring you to faith and to work an amazing work in your life. And worship begins there. You know, Paul is not trying to target some theological problem in this, in this letter. He's not dealing with any major issue. He just begins this letter by talking about, he just begins with praise. In the Greek, uh, Pastor Doug can tell us better on this, but in the Greek, this whole thing is just one long run-on sentence. He is just spilling out praise. What amazes me about this is this. This just comes off his head. This is just coming out of his heart. This is what he's thought about in his mind. This is what he's been moved in in his spirit, and this is what he just speaks out in this word. God has chosen us. God has adopted us. God has graced us. God has redeemed us. God has forgiven us. God has enlightened us. God has given us an inheritance. God seals us. God has guaranteed the inheritance in heaven for you, and then he's going to guarantee you for the inheritance. Amazing love. Look with me in verse 15. It says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And what is he praying? That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which you have been called and the riches of his glorious inheritance in Christ and the saints. Worship does something. It changes you, right? Worship changes you forever. We're going to talk this morning about the fact that all humanity are worshipers. We have this tendency to believe that we divide people in those that worship versus those that don't. And the reality is this. All humanity worship. All humanity place their trust and dependency on something or someone. The question is, who are you choosing to worship? Who are you choosing to put your faith in? Because every person in this world is a person of faith. It's just the, who's the object of the faith. God wants you to see that his son should be the object of your faith. He wants to transform you. He says, worship is changing you. Do you know that the person that you worship is the person that you center your lives on. It's the person that you are influenced by. 
We were talking about in our Sunday school class earlier about the way God created humanity is he created humanity dependent. He created humanity dependent upon the counsel that they listen to. And the third thing is that, he, that you will be molded and shaped by the counsel that you listen to. So you're dependent. You are dependent upon counsel. You need to receive revelation from someone. And whoever has your ear is the one that is going to be determining the direction, the molding and shaping of your life. So that's why Paul is praying that the eyes of their heart be what? Enlightened. Enlightened to the glory of his amazing grace. Flip with me to chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. It says this. And he raised us up in him, Christ, and seated us with him in the heavenly places, so that the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in the kindness towards us in Christ. That God has saved you for a purpose. And the purpose that we have today is to reveal him. Even the good works that you do are being fueled by God. He says that in verse 10. What does he say in verse 10? He says, for we are his, what? Workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Why? Good works just for ourselves? No. Good works so that we can earn our salvation? No, that's already been done. Good works so that we could display God's glory to a lost and dark world. Go with me to chapter 3, verse 10. It says, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God may be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. We exist to do what? To make God known. To reveal him. And we do that through worship. We do that through elevating him because as we elevate him in our thoughts, as we elevate him in our passions, and as we elevate him in our lives and our actions, the world starts to see him. Jump with me to verse 19 of chapter 3. What does it say? It says this, And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with what? All the fullness of God. That God, it's just, it kind of blows my mind when you think about it, that God is infinite. There is no limit to who God is. He is boundless. He is unrestrained. He is uncontained. He is bottomless. That God wants to fill you so that you can display his glory to this world. And that should cause us to worship him. Chapter 5, verse 1. After Paul has just talked in the first three chapters, which we've been working through this over the last several weeks, about what the gospel is, that you've been transformed because of what Christ has done for you, not because of what you've done. And then we get to chapter 4, and there's a transformation, there's a change. Now, how, do you, how are you called to live? He comes into the summary section in chapter 5 and he says what? Therefore, what? Be imitators of God. As beloved children, we are designed to display God. Stop aiming at self-improvement. Start desiring to reflect him. God is looking to change you, not to change you alone. He's looking to change you so that you can reflect his son for those that do not see him. John Piper has this quote. He says that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. The reflectors of God become satisfied with God and they start to display him more and more. 
How about verse 2, chapter 5? And walk in love, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. We are called to live as displayers of his amazing grace and mercy. So what is worship? I've gone through all of that, and I haven't even answered the question, what is worship? Worship is assigning true worth and value to something. Worship could also be called worth-ship. Biblical worship is that we bring glory to God. It is to acknowledge that he is infinite in value. It is giving him ultimate respect, ultimate honor, reverence, praise, and glory. You know, I like this. In the New Testament, it means, worship means to kiss towards, to kiss towards, or to bow down and to worship. That's what worship is. God deserves our praise. Worship is a response to the fear that we have of God because he is above us and I can't believe that he wants to have a relationship with me. I am in reverence and awe over what he has done. It's reverent worship. Worship is a response out of gratitude. I deserve hell, so do you, but he has given us heaven. He's given us Christ if you trust in his son. And if you can get that concept in your mind, it can't, you can't help but say, this is just amazing grace, amazing love. Worship occurs in vital relationships. Throughout these sections, we've been finding that worship is connected to an us. Jesus is the in him. We receive worship because we're in him. But there's a second element that it talked about. If you looked at all those verses, it kept talking about us, we. There's something about a vital aspect of worship. Not only are we worshiping God because of him, but we are worshiping God together. And so the church matters because it becomes the vehicle in which we can display God, not only in this building, but out to the world. Worship orients us. Worship centers us. Worship propels us. Worship is the essential questions of our lives. Now, I said earlier that there are, there are not two different worshipers in this world. All of us worship. There are two different aims of our worship, perhaps, a worship of Christ or something other, but all humanity are worshipers. Every person in this world, no one is divided between non-worshipper and worshiper. Paul Tripp, in a recent blog, had this quote. He said this, thought it was interesting. He says that humanity has a tendency to forget that worship is not about activity. Worship is about identity. As important as all the activities that we do, never confuse our worship activities with our worship identity. He said, as he said many times, worship is not primarily an activity. Worship is first the identity as human beings. Human beings were created to be worshipers. You can't divide these two groups. Every person, regardless of your religious profession, has worshiped their way through every day of their life. Every act that they do is a form of worship. So he gave an illustration I thought was interesting in the blog, was if you went to a party, let's say we had a picnic after church today. Probably wouldn't want to in the freezing cold. <laughs> let's make it an in picnic, a Super Bowl party, right? And so now... 
Now, you go to that party today, and you, as you go to the party, you're going to the party because deep down, you want to be approved of by others. You want people to value you. You want people to look at you and say, you know what, you're such a nice person. And even though you're doing a church activity because you're hanging out with church people, because the heart identity is for yourself and no longer is worship. So worship is centered on God. So I want to give you a quick definition. Worship is this. Worship is proclaiming and displaying the infinite worth of God through an informed mind, inflamed affections, and intentional acts of the will by his grace and for his glory. A little long definition. Paul had a whole long section here. I figured I can use this. Worship is proclaiming and displaying the infinite worth of God through an informed mind, inflamed affections, intentional acts of the will by his grace and for his glory. Is that what your worship looks like today? So I wanted to try to figure out, well, what keeps me from worshiping? What keeps me from worshiping God in that way? What hinders your worship? Turn with me to Gen uh, Jeremiah chapter 2. Jeremiah chapter 2. Because I thought it was interesting that as I got an opportunity to look at this section, I found that uh, my, um, my dilemma is the fact that I have a tendency to replace God with the wrong thing. In Jeremiah chapter 2, God is talking through Jeremiah about an idolatrous people. And he says this, that my people, verse 13, have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and they've hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can't hold water. Okay, that may not make a whole lot of sense, so let's try to figure it out today. Back in this culture, there were three different ways to get water. The first one would be to go to a spring. And as you go to a spring and getting water, it was considered living water. It was pure. There was something really good about it. It was great. That was the best type of water. There was a second way that you can get water, and you can dig out a well and find a well. And if you get a well there, it's not as good as the spring water. It's well water, but it's still not as bad as the third. The third is kind of runoff water. And it's this runoff water, these broken cisterns. It's going to increase the sludge, and you're going to get the water. It's going to be mixed with all of these impurities. And what God is using as the illustration is this. God is choosing to say this, that when we choose not to worship him, we are giving up spring water, and we're not even going to the second level water, well water, we're going to the worst water. We reject God, and then we attempt to replace him with something else. I don't know what you reject God and replace him with. St. Augustine had this interesting phrase. He said that, God, you have made us for yourself. And then he said what? My heart is restless until I rest in you. I keep eating sludgy, nasty, impure water, and I expect it's going to be spring water, and it's never going to be it. 
St. Augustine, he wrote this book called The Confessions. And in The Confessions, he talked about our tendency to go after disordered loves, inordinate loves, that you and I are created to love. And that what we're going to do is we will either love God or we will love something else. Well, Augustine looked at life and he said this, that if you go after a love other than God, it will leave you hungry, it will leave you lonely, or it will leave you enslaved. Hungry. I want you to think about the thing that you desperately value at times more than God. Maybe it's pleasures. Maybe it's power. Maybe it's possessions. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's that I'm free from discomfort. I don't know what it is. But there is something that you desperately think that you need in order to be happy. And what Augustine said was this, which is interesting, that the thing that you go after, you'll get it, but it won't satisfy you. It's like drinking salt water. You drink more and more of it, and you're going to find yourself needing more and more of it, and it won't ultimately fill you. You can gorge yourself day after day on this thing, and ultimately you're going to walk away unsatisfied. But Augustine didn't say that we're just going to be unsatisfied. The second thing he said was this, you're going to walk away lonely. That the thing that you go after, and you could probably see it in the breakdowns of your relationships, the thing that you have elevated in your life has at times hindered your relationship with God and perhaps hindered your relationship with others. I want you to think about the last argument that you had. The last conflict that you had with someone. What it was displaying is that there was something that mattered more to you than the love of God and the love of others. It mattered more than worship. At that moment in time, you were worshiping something other than God. And it left you lonely. And you find yourself separated from that person in a relationship. Worship, that a false worship will leave you hungry. A false worship will leave you lonely. But the third thing that Augustine said is that the false worship will leave you enslaved. Because the object of our worship is always going to dominate and control us. When we are submissive to God, God is the one who is controlling us. And that is great because he loves us infinitely. But when we go after some other aspect of our worship, then what we're going to find is that time after time, we are enslaved and I can't get out. I want you to think about the place that you feel in bondage this morning. I want you to consider the relationship that is not so vitally positive. It's actually vitally negative today. I want you to think about the thing that you have constantly going after saying, I need this to be happy and loved. That's the thing that hinders your worship. Worship is hindered by the things that we think, the things that we're moved upon, but also the ways that we act. Worship is more than just the actions that you do. It's about the very internal mechanism of your heart. What is most important to you? What is cherished by you? What is valued by you? And what God tells us in that passage in Jeremiah is this, you have rejected me. And you've lost what is best. Isaiah chapter 43 says this. Flip to me with Isaiah chapter 43. One book 
previous. Chapter 43, verse 7. You were created for a purpose, a grand purpose. Everyone who calls by name, my name, whom I've created for what? My glory, whom I've formed and made. You've been created for the glory of God. Verse 21, it says this. The people whom I have formed for myself, that they may do what? They may declare his praises. We exist, we are here, we are designed, we are wired, we are purposed to worship God. And if we don't, we're going to worship something other. What are you worshiping this morning? So our worship is hindered not only because we worship the wrong thing, but then we, our, our worship can be also hindered because we worship the right God in the wrong way, which is interesting. That not all of the things that we call worship is God pleased with. We may call it worship, but God cannot stand worship that is not centered on him and his son. I don't know if you can think of times in scripture where God said, you know what, the worship that you're offering me is junk. But there are plenty of times in Isaiah he said that. Isaiah chapter 1. He talked about, this is a uh, powerful passage in Isaiah chapter 1, verses 11 through 17. What to me is the multiply a multitude of your sacrifices? Chapter 1, verse 11. I've had enough of the burnt offerings, the rams, the fat of the well-fed beast. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or lambs or goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required you of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings, incense of abomination to me, new moons and Sabbaths and calling of convitations. I cannot endure the iniquity, this solemn assembly. Your new moons, your appointed feast, your soul, my soul hates it. They've become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my face from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. That's shocking to many of us because we just assume that whatever I bring to God, he's going to be happy with. He's not. God wants us to bring to him from informed minds, inflamed affections, and intentional acts of the will, a centering on him and a worship of him. This church can become a display of God's glory. Or we can be a displayer of something else. Jesus asked an interesting question of his disciples. He says, do you love me more than these? Do you remember the Pharisees where he said, you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. So I think that what hinders our worship is the fact that we make false gods. I think that what hinders our worship is that we have a level of unrepentance in our heart. I think that what hinders our worship at times is the fact that we have replaced God with something else. I think that what also hinders our worship is found in John chapter 4, last passage we'll look at this morning. John chapter 4. Jesus is at the, um, at the well, and you remember the story well. Um, the Samaritan woman comes to him, 
In verse 23, he says, but the hour is coming and now is here when true worshipers will worship the Father in what? Spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in what? Spirit and in truth. I think part of the ways our worship is in is, um, non-worship is that we're out of balance at times. Have you ever seen worship where there is a lot of spirit, but there's no truth? A lot of emotion, but it's not based on God's word. And people are experiencing these emotional ties and they say that this is driven by God, but it doesn't line up with God's word. The things that they're saying don't line up with God's word and it's not true worship. But have you ever been in a church where it's all truth but no spirit? Where they speak words of truth and it's orthodox in their truth, but they have no passion. It's just learning from their minds, intellectual mo intellectually moved in their minds, but there's no movement of the spirit. And what God says is this, that true worship is not only informed in your mind as you speak truth and identify truth, but it is moving and inflaming your passions inflaming your desires and it's fueled by the Holy Spirit so what is worship we said that worship is that that opportunity to see God as valuable worship is proclaiming and displaying the infinite worth of God through an informed mind inflamed affections intentional acts of the will by his grace and for his glory so then I ask you the last question I want you to consider this morning how do we worship Worship entails a new way of life. Worship is not just what we do here on a Sunday morning. Actually, worship is not primarily what we do here on a Sunday morning. Worship is all of what you do. In 1 Corinthians 10, 31, it says, when you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. That what God is saying is that everything that we do, every aspect of your life is a form of worship. At that moment in time, you are worshiping God or you're worshiping something else. So how do we worship? We need to worship in a new way of life. There's a song out. It's not a Christian song, but the song um, is entitled, All of Me Loves All of You, something to that effect. And the singer in that song is thinking of this, his woman and he has this great love for this person. All of me loves all of you. And it got me thinking, as much as I hope that that is a passionate way of every marriage that's in here, I, I want it even greater than that. That all of me and all of us loves all of God. That as God becomes the centering passion in your life, the propelling passion in your life, we start to show him out into this lost and dark world. Worship is not about this building. Worship is not limiting God. Worship is not external acts as much as the internal desire of our heart. Worship is also not just about the music. We come to worship, begin worship by music, but worship is more than just that. Worship is as the person prays here. Worship is as you commune with one another. Worship is as you put money in the offering plate, in the, in the offering box in the back. 
Worship is all of your life. Worship is the way you speak to your families this afternoon. Worship is how you work this week. Worship is how you drive on the roads. Worship is everything that you do. You are elevating something. So I ask you this morning, what are you elevating? What's most important? So how should we worship? We should worship with a new way of life. Finally, I'd like you to think about this. What is the reason why we need to worship? I believe we need to worship because God says that he desires worship. That's interesting. When you think about a God who says, I want you to worship me. Does God lack anything? No. Does God need anything from us? No. But there's something about him that says, I just enjoy it when you worship me. But God doesn't just desire worship. God commands worship. He commands us to live lives, not just worshiping activities, but worshiping identity. That it is who you are. I think Pastor Tim, weeks, uh, a couple of weeks ago, was last week, was it last week, talking about the fact that it's not just the actions that we do, it's becoming the church. It's not acting just like the church, but you are the church. You're a worshiper. Who are you worshiping today? God desires our worship. God commands our worship. God deserves our worship. This church will be changed because of worship. We will grow in holiness because of worship. And we will act, impact the lost world through our worship. Who are you worshiping this morning? Stop uh, leaving hungry. Stop leaving lonely. Stop leaving enslaved. Worship the King. Lord, I pray.